we are starting a, a series called Relationology. And if I was to ask, you know, every one of you, my guess is that you would say there's, there's at least some level of us that goes, I need a little freshening up on how to, like, be awesome in relationships. And, um, you know, one of the things that would sort of primary of those relationships is our marriage relationships. Some of us are married in here. And I just want to point something to you on the back of your outline or on your bulletin. There's a little tiny maroon corner that says date night. Um, I know that for me, I, and I have little kids that I'm sure no matter what stage of life that you're in, uh, fighting for a date night, I mean, trying to get to the place where you can get a date night with your own spouse is a real challenge, especially if you have little kids. Um, and it also ends up being kind of expensive. I know that I was just doing the math. I was like thinking, you know, a dinner and a movie, and I'm not talking about extravagant dinner, but I'm talking like, you know, well, extravagant chilies. Uh, but like a dinner and a movie plus a babysitter is about $100. I mean, it's a $100 affair. And so like, you know, it's a big commitment when you go on a date night. And I, one of the things we talk about is that childcare is expensive and things like that. And I think a lot of us, because life moves so fast, tend to lose the art of the date night when we're married. And so we're going to give you a date night, and here's how it will work. First is this. We're going to have uh, Doug Fields will be here with Jim Burns, and it's going to be on uh, you know, Friday the, the 25th, and everyone will be in here, and there'll be a little bit of a kind of like, here's how to recover the art of, and I think the, their topic is serious fun. How to remember what it's like to have a lot of fun with your spouse. I think a lot of us get so committed to loving each other, we forget how to like each other again. And I think this is kind of what this is about. Now, some of you are going, that's great, but what about childcare? Let me just tell you how awesome this is. You bring your kids, and we'll take care of childcare. And we'll do an hour or so of being together and then send you out for a date night together with your spouse, and then hopefully you come back and pick up your kids. <laughs> uh, now, with that, I have to give you one little detail about that as well is, you know, so we have a little talk in here, then you go out and have a date night. Hopefully you put some of the stuff to practice to have some fun together. But um, this is not like tell your friends so that they can just go drop off their kids and avoid everything else that we're doing here because there's a time together. Don't just say, hey, they're doing free day. Everyone just go on a date night because it costs the church money. So come be a part of this. We want to invest in the relationships and the marriages that are in this room and, you know, and even the, the relationships that are in your community. Bring your friends if they want to come be a part of this. It'll be great for them. But just make sure they're a part of the whole, the whole thing. Um, and if you're a person who's like, you know, childcare isn't expensive enough for us to, I mean, it's like that's not an obstacle for us. If you, if you can, you know, participate in sort of helping out make a donation to the child care because it does cost us money great if you can't but we don't want that to be an obstacle so come hang out get some tips on relationship then go hang out together and hopefully again like I said pick up your kids at the end of the night um it's going to be great and we're going to take over the next couple of weeks this is just part of what we're going to be doing and taking a, a look at relationships a diving into you know the the what is probably the source of our greatest joy in our lives our relationships and also the source of our deepest pain and, you know, in fact, how we, un how we understand who we are is actually born out of the relationships in our lives, how they're reflecting back to us who we actually are. So relationships are critical. It's going to be a great series. We talk about this stuff. encourage you to come check out the date night on the 25th. But before we jump into today, would you pray with me? And then we'll get into this first week of relation relationology. Jesus, you have created us to be in relationships some of us in this room are here um, because we've been wounded recently and deeply by the people who were supposed to love us. And God, we need healing. And so we ask that you would work in us to heal us and to bring to us healing and hope again. Others of us, God, are in relationships and we need to bring restoration. That we aren't, <clears throat> we aren't the, the wounded, but we are the wounder in some ways. So God, would you help us to sort of know 
where we might follow you and be guided by you to bring restoration. And God, we know that we move at a pretty fast pace. And often the, the relationships that we value the most get sacrificed on the altar of efficiency and busyness and work. And so for just a moment, it's just to sort of honor the sacredness of all of our relationships. We just pause. We sit still in the quiet. Jesus, we pray today that you would work in us. That we would take seriously our relationships, beginning first and foremost with you, who would choose to love us, not because we're terrific and shining and wonderful and awesome, but because we just belong to you. We're grateful for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, relationships matter. They're a big deal. In fact, we're going to spend, I should tell you this too, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Galatians chapter 5. If you want a Bible, some folks would pass one out to you. If you don't need one because we provided all the scripture you need on your outline, you want to look on the screen. Some of you I know like to look in a Bible. Just raise your hand, someone will get one for you. But relationships matter. Uh, even, the, even now as you start thinking about it, people like to talk about how connected they are. They like to you know, tell you how many friends they have and whatever and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my, own, my youngest son is four years old. And my older two kids, who are, uh, who are six and a half and nine, like to talk about how they know how to call uh, Amanda, my wife, and I on the phone. Like, they could call, they know, they know our phone number. That's a big deal, and they kind of brag about it, you know, like, I can call dad, and I can call mom. And, you know, a lot of times they'll take one phone and call the other phone in the house, just to, like, hey, I'm calling you, I love you, okay. And you hear, the, like, the double echo of their voice, because they're right there, and then it's a second delay as it shoots up into outer space, then comes back to your phone, you know, it takes a little second. But there's that kind of thing. My youngest son is now wanting to sort of brag about and know about how to have the connection with, with you know, the two, me and my wife. And so he, at Christmas, my mother-in-law asks my youngest, she goes, hey, Scotty, do you, do you know your phone number? He looks at her like, yeah, it's F-A-R-T-11. <laughs> now, <laughs> he doesn't know how to spell... <laughs> Which would be funnier if he did, but he has no idea how to spell. And numbers and letters are kind of the same thing for him. And he looked at her like, yeah, obviously I know how to do that. And then he just kept on doing whatever else he was doing. <laughs> By the way, our phone number is not F-A-R-T-11 in case you're trying to call us. But there's a certain point in which being connected really is a way in which we're able to say, I matter, I'm valuable because I'm connected with other people. And I have access to other people because I'm a meaningful person, whatever else it looks like. But relationships are such a big deal. In fact, when people list some of their biggest fears, among the tops of that list are things like loneliness and isolation. And we live in a world full of a lot of lonely and isolated people. And we also live in a world where the world is happy to sell us or offer to us all kinds of antidotes and coverings for our own loneliness. So that we don't have to feel or experience the loneliness at our deepest level of our soul. In fact, some of you have seen this. I'm going to show you a commercial in a second. You guys have all seen this commercial, but I want to break it down a little bit. Check this out. Look at you guys with your fancy schmancy you versus high-speed internet. You know, in my day, you couldn't just start streaming six ways to Sunday. You get knocked off, and sometimes it took a minute to download a song. That's 60 seconds for crying out loud. We know how long a minute is. Sitting, waiting for an album to download. I still have bad problems. You're only 14 and a half. He doesn't have bad problems. You kids have got it too good, if you ask me. Now Uverse High Speed Internet has more speed options, reliability, and ways to connect. Rethink. 
Okay, this message brought to you by AT&T. Uh, no, there's, for 15 bucks a month, you can have faster, more reliable connections with other people. But I want you to understand something. What's being advertised here is something really kind of, it's scary. We all look at it and go, that's, that's funny because that guy's acting old. We never really get what's actually being sold here. Because what you have is two kids sitting on a couch. Presumably they're buddies in some kind of friendship relationship there. And the way that their friendship is being enacted is that each of them has a screen in which they're both being connected elsewhere. One kid is looking at a guy, I've seen this commercial a number of times getting ready for this message, but one kid's looking at a guy riding on the top of an ostrich just running in circles. And the other guy is watching a guy dressed up as a cow. And that's it. That's what they're watching. Now, I've watched a lot dumber things than that on the internet, but that's what they're watching at this point. And they're, the, the point of what's being made is that their connection, which is only superficially with each other, is being interrupted by another guy who's not using a screen to, to sort of mediate his relationship with the other kids. That the one who ruins the experience of relationship is the one who's actually trying to talk to people without a screen. And what's being said here is, for 15 bucks a month, we'll give you faster, more reliable connection. Only we have to wonder, in the world that we live in, how reliable and fast, if that's the value, how, how, how good is that connection? Because maybe in our own lives, or in some way or another, we're actually people who are hungering and dying for relationship, and yet we're just sort of paying 15 bucks a month to be connected elsewhere. I was doing some research for this message, and I was looking at some of these things where you like just kind of following some stuff. So I searched on Twitter under the hashtag lonely, and hang on a sec, I'll get to that in a second. It was really good that you guys jumped on. Wait one second. I need to set it up for dramatic stuff before they see that. Okay, uh, just kidding. It's okay. But I'm looking at some of this stuff, and you're looking at how do people actually utilize this 15 bucks a month of internet access? And what people are actually saying is, it isn't satisfying the deepest needs of my soul. In fact, I'm just shooting out to all of the Twitterverse. Please, I'm alone now and cue. Here's what someone says. Someone please text me. Leave that up there for a second. So it isn't that she texts someone and says, hey, what's up? How's it going? Or calls someone. Just everywhere on the internet, someone please text me. Hashtag lonely. Next. Next one. This guy go clearly this person ended up at their at their lunch table by themselves. Always awkward. Wait, go back. <laughs> Always awkward when the, you're the first one at the lunch table. Hashtag lonely. Now you can imagine just for a second. When I was when I first started out as a youth pastor, like very few people, I mean people had cell phones, but that was it. And when I was in when I was in fact when I first started, people, very few, very few high school kids had cell phones. But the way to mask that you're lonely is that you immediately, upon recognizing, all of us do this now, upon recognizing that you're by yourself, at least pull out a phone and act as though I'm connecting with someone else. So, you, know, you could just be doing the typing test or whatever it is that you're doing. But I'm connecting with other people because I'm not, even the very idea that I might be alone looks sort of, you know, sort of dark. And this person says, I'm the first one at the lunch table. I'm lonely. Next. I really don't hang out with people. Anymore. I don't go out. I don't text people. I guess I've just taken myself out of everything. Lonely. Next one. This is my favorite one. I'm so bored that I pretended my dog was an airplane and flew her through the house making sound effects. Hashtag lonely. <laughs> now, 
<laughs> that's clearly, that's clearly, if you fly your dog around the house, you're, you're lonely, and that's a whole different level of sadness that I feel for you. <laughs> Look at this one. No one takes me seriously when I say, come take care of me. Seriously, I need some medicine, popsicles, and some company. Lonely. Leave that up there for just a second. Someone saying, I'm alone, I'm hurting, I'm sick, I'm not feeling good. I need someone to come be with me. And again, this is announced to all of the Twitter verse. Whoever would follow her passively gets this message. It means this is a cry based on the connection that's being, again, sold to you, 15 bucks a month by AT&T, whatever. This is a cry saying, I'm desperate for relationships, and the only way I know how to involve people in my life is to send it to the, the world wide web. I'm alone, and I'm sick. That's good. Now, what we find eventually is that our, the deepest needs of our soul, that our deepest hurts cannot be met or covered over by anything that can be bought or sold in this world. At the center of our hearts, the deepest longing of our soul is something way deeper than anything that sort of in the world could offer for us. And that you were intended, perhaps this is a way to think of it, you were intended, I was intended, for a particular kind of life that cannot be bought or sold, that cannot be accessed from a particular URL, you know, website. And maybe it points us to something else. That the world isn't going to be enough for us. And maybe as we begin to look at some, as we begin to break into this relationology series, maybe we ought to start at the very beginning of the way we were, were made. The way God intended us to be. We start all the way very back. And maybe at the fabric of our being is part of us that's longing for some kind of deep connection that we just aren't finding very often. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1. It's on your outline. We'll, like I said, we'll be in Galatians 5 in a little bit, but just look at this. This is a famous passage. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now there's a couple of things, there's a lot in just this, those couple of verses. But the first thing you get is this, that God himself created human beings in his own image. God is, you know, in and of himself, he's a, what we, a trinity, which is to say that there are three distinct persons in one. And there is a relationship between all those persons. The Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have a, an interrelationship there. And for those of you who are looking for a simple way to describe it, you can ask Cole out on the patio. He can give you a real simple way to describe the trinity it's real easy. No, it's, just kind of, it's a super complex thing. We could spend weeks and weeks talking about it. But all you need to know is that God in and of himself is a relational being. Secondly, we get this sense that God has created, the words are that God created us in his own image. That is, there, that is to say there's some kind of similarity between God and human beings. Now, we're not the same thing, but there's something, there's some kind of common ground there. You, you know, a lot of you guys are in a stage in your life where you're dating people, you know, and you're kind of trying to see who, if you, got, if you can kind of make the whole thing work, there's some initial attraction. Maybe you said to someone who you're sitting with today, hey, come to church with me to see if maybe they're willing to do that. Nine o'clock's a little bit more ambitious, you know, 11's not quite so ambitious, you know. But they show up, and you're trying to figure out, do we have something in common that we could build our relationship on? 
Human beings are made with something already in common with God, that there would be some kind of relationship to be had with him. But even more so, being created in the image of God tells us something else. And it sort of is a way of thinking about it like this, is to say how God is, not just who he is, but how God is, is how we were intended to be. God is already in relationship with himself. He's created us for relationship with himself. But he's this person who, he's this God, he is a being who is relational. And how he is, because we're in his image, maybe is the way that we ought to be as well. God is a with us being. That's his intention, to be with us. Just to give you some bullet, just shot through the Bible, of sort of idea of kind of how this, how this works. Genesis 2.7 says this. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, I, the reason why this is in there is because, in, this, in your outline, is because I, I want you to get the sense that God didn't just lightning bolt, use a magic wand, distance, create a human being. That it's his own breath that animated the dust to life. That there's a level of intimacy between God and, and human beings that was intended from the very beginning. Jump to Genesis chapter 3. We could do a whole message just on this passage. Then the man... And his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, just real quick, stop right there. It is human beings in, this, in these two verses who are running and hiding from God. They're ashamed for what they've done, so they run and hide. And God does this, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Human beings are running and hiding. God is moving toward them saying, where are you? We could do a whole talk on this. God already knows where they are. The question is for the man and the woman, why are you hiding? Where have you gone? You've lost. We were intended to be together. Then jumping to Exodus chapter 3. Moses, who's now been, just been commissioned to rescue his own people who have been in captivity for 400 years, has this conversation with God. He says this, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. God's answer to the fear of I'm I'm not adequate is I'm with you. God doesn't say to Moses, you know, buck up. You can do it. You're on your own. Just get out there and try real hard. He says, you know, Moses freaks out, says, I can't do this. And God says, I'm with you. My intention is to be with you in some of the most difficult. I'm with you. Jump to Isaiah 41. This is like the most famous camp song. If you grew up in a church youth group from like 1985 to like 1999, you probably sang the song, Fear Not. Just raise your hand if you've ever sang the song, just real quick. Okay, all right, my people, right? Fear not for I am with you, fear not. Thank you. Yes, some of you know the song, right? Fear not for I am with you, fear not. Don't be afraid I'm with you. There's a lot of things you can worry about, but you don't have to because I'm with you. Now, in the ancient world, the way the gods are painted by all the other gods is one in which they're all really angry. And you better not just do something to tick them off because they might just go crazy on you. And yet there is this picture of God who says, I've created you to be with you and I want to be with you. My desire is that though you might run, that I would be with you. I would chase after you to be with you. Fear not. 
I'm with you. This particular, the book of Isaiah is written at a time of exile. The promise is that the people will be returned back to the land from which they've been exiled. That's never happened in the ancient world. And that they would be restored home. It's an impossible thing. And God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And then at Christmas, what we celebrate. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That the big arc of the story of the Bible is God is a with us God. He wants to be with us. He chooses to be with us. And throughout all of the story of the Bible, you have people running and hiding and God saying, I'm in pursuit of you because I want to be with you. God's story is one in which he's constantly chasing a relationship with us. Most often we think about us chasing a relationship with God, but the story of the Bible is God chasing a relationship with us. Now remember, God is a with us God. We were created in God's image. That means we were created to be with us kinds of people. It means we were created and intended for relationships. Relationships give us our first sense of who we are, and they give us a first sense of who God is. Look at this. This is a quote from an Old Testament scholar who says this. It's not that we first exist and then relate. Our humanity, in other words, who we are, and our freedom are actualized contextually, not merely by means of individualistic acts of choice, but only the way we experience freedom, but only in encounter with other people and acts of love and trust set in the context of relationships, of understanding, and shared life. Who God is emerges in relationships. The question we're kind of wrestling with here is, what kind of relationships do those have to be for God's picture to sort of emerge? Which ones are the ones that really show us who God is? And and I think probably even more seriously is, is it possible that God's intention for us is that we would perpetually be unsatisfied by whatever the world would offer to us The deep longing for relationship in our soul is not something that the world could ever give to us. But the fundamental basis of all of our relationships is God with us and us with God. In a series, as we kind of break it down over the next couple of weeks, you know, there's going to be some practical stuff, some real practical help. You know, again, date night, bring your friends to all that kind of stuff. It's going to be some real practical stuff we talk about. But ultimately what we're talking about is this, that the the discussion about relationships, about us being better in our relationships, whatever they might look like, boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, kids, parents, friends, whatever all that stuff we talk about, that all of those things point us to one thing, that the best and most important thing in all of our relationships in this whole series, this, this relationology series, is that it's an invitation to a greater intimacy with the with us God. That every other relationship And its health would flow out of our own intimacy with God. And next week, we're going to talk about what I think is probably the number one relationship killer. All of us have probably come up against it. We'll talk about it next week. The week after that, Fields will be here talking about marriage. It's going to be a great series. But relationships are hard. We were created for them. And there is nothing in this world that can fulfill the longing within our own hearts for the deep connection of our soul. But there is this conversation about relationships in the Bible that is from cover to cover. It's why there's so much talked about it. I want to just kind of give you a sense, what, just at least one snapshot as we frame the series. In Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. It says this. You, my brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul is writing, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Let me stop right there. You have in this passage this very interesting contrast of two ways of thinking. You were called to freedom, meaning you're allowed, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to just give yourself whatever you want. Instead, he says, use your freedom for something else, to serve one another in love. The noun form of that verb, to serve, is a word that means slave. Now think about the backwards, crazy, irony, strange way, countercultural way of Jesus' followers here. You are called to be free. Use your own freedom to take on the position of a slave for everybody else. Willingly choose to be a slave for everybody else. Serve everybody else humbly in love. There's a lot of ways you could operate here, but he says choose to be a servant. That foundational to all of our relationships we're about to talk about in the series is the position that we would choose willingly, not to say you owe me these things, but to say I'm here to serve you. That's a scary proposition. Continuing on, verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me stop right there. Jesus talked about, he he was asked, you know, what are you doing here basically? And he says, well, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Meaning all 613 commands of the Hebrew Bible are going to be summed up and fulfilled in me. And the Apostle Paul writes that the, all of those commands, as Jesus said equally, are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The expression of all the law, the intention of all the law, the best possible outcome of the law, what the law was trying to build and point us toward is us loving each other. That's it. One, one ancient sort of first century Jewish rabbi was asked the question, you know, what's the, can you say all of the Torah standing on one foot? And one, this one guy sent everybody away, and the other, he came, so, so one rabbi sent him away, just this incensed about this person would ask this question. He asked another one, can you do it standing on one foot? He said, yes, love your neighbor as yourself. The rest is just commentary. This, that's from Leviticus. Jesus quotes the same thing. That everything in our lives, the fulfillment of all the law, is simply to be expressed in loving relationship with one another. And in verse 15, you get the alternative to loving one another. It's what I would call relational cannibalism. Check it out. Verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. This is sort of the Apostle Paul's way of talking about zombies. (laughs) This is the Walking Dead passage of the Bible in a lot of ways. Some of you watch the show, and some of you shouldn't watch the show. It'll, it'll scare you to death. Others of you, you get what I'm talking about. But those of you who don't know, let me give you a crash course in, in what I now know about zombies. Is that the zombies are infected with a virus that robs them of their humanity to the degree that all they want to do is feed on the flesh of other people. And they resemble their former selves. In fact, there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of confusion about that. That's why there's sort of this effectiveness of this virus. Because the, the zombies in the, <clears throat> in the zombie apocalypse, and I'm talking about like it's a real thing, but, but they look like, they walk around, they look like the same, they're wearing the clothes that they used to wear, and the only thing they have in their mind is biting and devouring the flesh of other people. There is no humanity left in them. The only thing that they're feeding is their own desire. And the Apostle Paul says, 
whenever we serve the desire, what he calls the flesh, we'll get into that in a little bit, whenever we serve only the, the desires of our own flesh, the outcome is only that we would devour each other. That we would devour each other and be bitten and devoured by other people. And the antidote, the opposite of that, is that we would say in relationships, it's not what I can get from other people or how much I can take, it's how much I can serve and put them first. Serve one another humbly in love. Then he says this in verse 16 and 18. This is where we begin to talk about spirit and flesh. He says this. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. In other words, there's two sides to this, this conversation. One is this flesh which we've left behind in order to choose a life with God in his spirit which dwells in us. Those are the two contrasts set up. They are in conflict with each other so that you, may, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, all this is saying is this. God's Spirit indwells people who would follow his Son and believe in his Son, Jesus. And he says, that, that is life with God. That intention is that you would walk with me and I would begin to produce in you these kind of relationship stuff that we're talking about in a little bit. But he said, you're not a robot. In other words... Some of us who have struggled at different times in our lives with different periodic episodes of really addictive kind of sin behavior in our lives, our hope is that God would just come into our life and turn off every single switch that makes us sort of do those things that we become robotically in love with God so that we would do no wrong. But there's no such love in that. So we have this flesh part of our lives we still live that we can choose to listen to or we can walk, as Paul says, in step with the Spirit. And this is kind of what we're, we're going to get after over the next couple of weeks is that we're not governed nor are we defined by our impulses or our desires. No matter how strong they might be, no matter how much we feel like they're us, they're not us. We're created in God's image. We're not the, we're not the product of our desires, or our impulses. So he says there's another way to live by the spirit that God gives to you. And then he goes on to this list. I'm going to read you in a second. It was what happens when the flesh goes unchecked, when the zombie virus goes crazy. This is what happens. This is the kind of stuff that happens. And it's a crazy, I mean, this is, this is what the cannibal life looks like in terms of spiritual conversation. Look what it says, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we look at a list like that and we go, wow, those are some really jacked up people that would be part of that stuff. Man, I'm glad I'm not one of those people. I'm glad too. But I think our tendency is to look at a list like this and go, that's so extreme. Some of the things that are mentioned in there are so crazy. Some of them are a little bit more, they're a little bit more approachable. But some of them are so extreme that I'll never have to worry about that. I can in some way or another just kind of keep my life, I can keep some of those things in check. Which allows us the freedom to do what I would say is sort of the dabbling of things. You know, I'm not, real, I'm not like crazy. But I got, a, you know, sure I got a little stuff in there. Maybe it's a little bit of pornography. It's not like kind of some of the words he's using here. But I, I get a little bit every once in a while. Uh, I'm not a crazy, you know, the, the, he used the word debauchery. I'm assuming that's like this crazy Vegas every weekend kind of life person. I'm not that person. I mean, once in a while I'll go a little crazy. But, no, I mean, you know, I'm kind of, everything's kind of in check. And he's saying, it's, uh, just maybe for us to kind of consider this is, 
Maybe what's being talked about here is, well, maybe I'm not all the way to the full extreme of what some of this list is, but maybe if left unchecked, if left unguarded, if left to continue to dabble in my own life, I'm giving it a presence in my life that it could become some of these things that I never would have thought to be the case. If you talk to people who are recovering addicts, they'll tell you it got started with something that, that, that just kind of took them over that didn't think was really a big deal. And maybe there's a part of us that says, <clears throat> well, i got to take this seriously. Because if I don't, maybe it turns into this kind of thing where it's a full-blown cannibal kind of life. But Paul says about this, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And what he means is that you live your life apart from the way God intended it. God intended us, remember God is a relational with us being who intends to be with us and because we're created in his image, we're also intended to be with us kinds of people with whole and healthy relationships. And he says, if you're living in this kind of life in which you are constantly figuring out ways to take from other people, to get from them, to exploit the relationships you have with other people, to get what you need or what you want, you're missing out on God's best for your own life. Not inheriting the kingdom of God. It is these things that actually hide and obscure the image of God. You were created for so much more, and these things just block that out. And the great lie for us is that we actually become the identity of these things. That the best we think in some ways or another is that the the best I could do with my life is to offer my own flesh for somebody else's consumption. That I'd rather have people feeding on me, taking advantage of me, than being alone. I, I um, again, part of the research, I was looking at different stuff. I, I, you know, in addition to doing some reading and research and whatever else, I'm coming across, like, headlines and looking at other stuff, news sources and stuff, and I'm looking at the Huffington Post. And um, they have a, they, they were doing a, they were just asking people to write in and start tweeting about their own experience of being alone at New Year's. And so they had the hashtag, single because. So people were looking at some of the things. And I saw one that just caught my, my attention as I was looking for this message. This, this girl who, incidentally, her picture is like, I can't, it's hard to tell because it's that little tiny picture, but it, it's a picture of what well, looks like a team. They're all kind of, you know, hands around each other, basketball team, track team, cheerleading squad. You can't really tell, but there's all this, this team picture of people. And she says, I'm single because I'm never more than just a hookup. Meaning that the only reason why I'm around, why other people even keep me around, is so that they can get something from me. Guys in particular can get something from me. I'm just the flesh for someone else's consumption. And some of us are in this room feeling like the only thing we've got is to offer ourselves for everybody else's consumption. That's the best we can do. Now as I'm looking at this list, there are very, it's a super high temptation for me to go, I'm glad I get to tell everybody else about this and not talk about myself because that's one, I'm, I'm a pastor and I can shield myself with, a, you know, it's something. But the truth is, these are all, these are all things I got to wrestle with too. Otherwise, I'm inauthentic in telling you, you have to wrestle with these things. So as I'm looking over, and by the way, I should tell you, as I'm writing my own notes to teach, this is the last thing I left in my notes, because I couldn't find, I was like, I don't want to wrestle with this right now. I got other things, you know, let's look at another, you know, some other angle on this. I just was resisting it. And here's what kept popping up for me. It's the second half of verse 20, where it says, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, 
dissensions, factions, and envy. Those are the things that kept coming up in my own, as I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, that's a long list. God, could we make that a little shorter? Is there something else we can maybe trim that down? Those are the ones that I dealt with. Now, it's not like I'm going around hating everybody, but there is def- as I'm looking at my life, the more and more I began to sort of mine this for my own soul, I began to realize I'm actually a person who suffers probably most, the source of most of my issues probably from deep insecurity about people being more than me, better than me, taking attention away from me that I feel like I ought to have. So I long for their life, and in so longing for their life, coveting their own life, I begin to figure out ways to sabotage them in subtle ways, perhaps if I let my mind go all the way out, I'm like, this is what this, the outcome of the way I sort of live with this deep insecurity are those things. Maybe I'm trying to think over the course of my life, have I ever tried to subtly create a, a, a cannibalistic environment for other people that they might devour each other, that I might emerge? That never works out, but maybe that's some of the stuff I've been trying to do in my own life. What is it with you in your own life? That you go, there's some stuff, not only have I sometimes just given myself over to being the flesh for someone else's consumption, where else have I maybe just kind of thought about taking or exploiting or devouring someone else for my own purposes? Those are the outcomes of the flesh. Our own life, just unchecked, our own desires unchecked, our own will unchecked. But Paul writes about another kind of life that God wants to give to us. It's expressed in relationships. Listen to these relational words. This is what he calls the the fruit of the Spirit. It says this, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. I learned this as a kid is patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. In other words, our our desires and passions are, are killed or put to death. Of the flesh with its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I, I want to tell you, as I have talked about this and heard this talked about, one person I heard once say, this is, a, um, this is like the job description for Christians. People who follow Jesus, this is like their job description. And I have to tell you, that's, that, I like the intention there, but that's really missing the point. This isn't a job description. This isn't the qualifications for membership in God's kingdom. It's something different. Look at what's actually being written here is that this is the outcome of a life with God. They aren't the qualifications. These are the kind of things that are produced in us. Now they're expressed in a relationship with other people, but this is the expression of our intimacy with God is our love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It is what God produces in us. Not what qualifies us to have a relationship with him. That's backwards. We're not trying to produce these things so that we can have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God so that he produces those things in us. The fruit of the spirit, what is God's spirit indwelling in us, produces these things in our life. Our increased intimacy with God produces these things in the rest of our relationships. And these are, these are pictures of healthy relationships. No one says, you know, I've, I've just got, I've got enough patience, I've got enough kindness in my life. You know, I just, I pretty much maxed out on goodness and gentleness. <laughs> like, pff, nailed it. You know what I mean? Like, no one says that kind of stuff. 
The life that God wants to build in you is this kind of life. And most of us think, it's not, I can't possibly be that, I don't know how to be that person. Well, you're not, it's not for you to try hard enough. It's for God to do in you. God is a with us God. All of our relationships, the best of our relationships flow out of our, our intimacy with God. Who produces in us, out of his work in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Relational intimacy with God builds, creates healthy, rich, full relationships with other people. Even more practically, Paul writes in the next chapter in Galatians 6, he says this, kind of putting a cap on this whole section. Do not be deceived, he says in verse 7. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. In other words, what you plant you're going to get out of the ground. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The word eternal life, when Jesus is, he has this rhetorical question, he's praying in John chapter 17. What is eternal life? And he says, it's that they, those who know, know me and those who come after those would know you. In other words, eternal life is us with God. Knowing God, walking with God. That's, that's Jesus' own words. That those, those, peop, those disciples would know you. That's eternal life. The life you were intended is life with God. You were intended to walk with and to know him and to be with him. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. If you have a pen, I'd underline the four words, as we have opportunity. If you have your own Bible, I would circle it or highlight it or whatever you might do. That word is a, th- those four words are one word in Greek. It's the word chiron. There are, two ti- there are two kinds of time described in Greek. One is the word chronos, which is like the chronological ticking forward, the calendar year time, whatever, all that kind of stuff. It just keeps on going. It's a slow moving kind of time. And the other one, the noun form is the word kairos. And kairos is something totally different. In fact, the way that the, the, the sort of mythological story to describe Kairos is like this. Kairos is a little fast runner. And he has a ponytail in the front of his head. He's kind of like Elvis, but braided ponytail in the front of his head. This is the way, honestly, this is the way, this is the mythology about Kairos. And Kairos is a fast runner who's coming down the track. And the way in which you actually get a hold of Kairos, the, the, this opportunity, is you have, this is awesome. You have to grab him by the ponytail and slam him down. And he's coming so fast, if you're not ready for him, you're going to miss the ponytail, and there it goes. Now, the opportunity here is one in which there is a very limited amount of time. It's what's being expressed. This opportunity is not indefinite. It's a God-given opportunity with a window of time. Here comes Kairos running down the track. i got to grab him and throw him down. Now, what's he talking about here? We have an opportunity, a Chiron, to do good in our relationships. There is a time limit a window of opportunity for us in our relationships. We can, let it, we can let things go by, or we can say, if I'm going to take my relationships, all of them seriously, right now is the time. Over the next couple weeks, there's people I want to be bringing to church to be able to talk about this stuff, because this is the time to talk about it. And we have to seize the time and wrestle it to the ground, or else it will get away from us. And Paul says, this is the time to take seriously our relationships. Relational goodness has a time frame, has a window. Let me ask you, 
Where in your life, we talked about it already, where in your life have you already been, for lack of a better term, you've been cannibalized, exploited, used, hurt by other people for their own benefit? Was it a neighbor, a friend, a family member, someone who was supposed to love you, who just took advantage of you for their own need, and those wounds are still in your own life, they're still present? Some of you have talked about those in Rooted with people in relationship to kind of begin some of that healing process because we're broken in relationship and healed in relationship. Where have you been cannibalized, used, exploited? I guess we could spend a lot of time talking about some of that in our own story. But let me flip it on its head a little bit. Maybe because you were cannibalized in some way, maybe because someone took advantage of you in some way or another, your reaction was actually to go out and bite and devour other people too. Is anybody in your life, maybe, who has been bitten, devoured, exploited, used, hurt by you, for you? Is it a spouse? Is it a brother or sister? Is it a coworker, a friend, a boss? Is it your own kids? Who in your life? needs a little restoration between the two of you. I'm going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Well, who is it? And lastly is this. Where is God calling you or inviting you to begin to walk with him, to sow with him, to plant with him, that you might produce some new fruit in your life? Not because of your effort to try really hard to produce those things, but because, but because you are growing and choosing to walk with God that he might develop those things in you. Maybe it's a particular word that jumped out of you from the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to develop in you. What is it for you? Let's, let's pray together. And then we'll respond together as part of our prayer in worship and even further prayer together, perhaps. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we are wounded in relationships and we want to bring healing to our relationships. We long for a connection with other people that's meaningful and healthy and good and right. We have suffered profound loneliness and confusion in relationships. Some of us have become very adept at finding ways of covering up our deeper loneliness, masking it. A lot of us, God, live in relationships with other people in which we pretend like everything's okay or just that we suffer silently thinking this is just as good as it gets. God, we need relational healing. We need you to work in us. That we might be people who live out, because of your spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So God, as we respond together in prayer and in song, would you hear our words as people who long for intimacy with you that you might produce these things in us? In fact, some of you in the room may need to come forward in a little bit. There'll be some folks on both sides of the, of the stage that you go, I just can't go any further without having someone else pray for me for some of the deep wounds in my life. But would you give an opportunity for God to speak to you? Maybe you need to come forward in a little bit and receive prayer. 
as we sing these songs. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.